It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to The Long Game with LZ and Leach from The Recount and ACAST, where every week we talk about the biggest sports stories and how they impact culture, politics, and business. I'm LZ Granderson. And I'm Will Leach. Well, I am so excited for this week's episode because, what the fuck, Aaron Rodgers? What the fuck? Yeah, as always, there's a million things to talk about. Our first story will obviously be Aaron Rodgers and his vaccination deception. Did he pay a price with sponsors? Has he already caused a ton of damage? Will there be a punishment for him? How do you even clean up this whole mess? Speaking of a whole mess, Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver, holy cow, the ESPN investigation report doesn't look good for you. But considering ESPN's approach to journalism, should we take it seriously? And I'm going to try to talk about something positive, if we can. It's the start <laughs> of the college basketball season. You know, that pure, innocent, wonderful establishment and institution that is college basketball. I still love college basketball. Not everybody else loves it as much as me. Is it fading? We're going to discuss that as well. And we'll also have a regular This Week in Sports History segment, in which we will look back at the greatest tennis rivalry of all time and how it might be played out a little bit differently if it were to happen today. But first off, LZ, I want to ask you, what's your sports mood? Oh, man. I'm a little stressed out. My Lakers, right? Mm -hmm. They're 6-5 and at this point. They just won an overtime against the Charlotte Hornets. And on the one hand, I'm thinking, well, yeah, this team is still new. It's still gelling together. And when LeBron gets back, it's just going to work. On the other hand, why is it we still need this 36-year-old to get back to make this whole thing work when we have literally four Hall of Famers other than him, like, on the team? Like, I'm so confused. I mean, old Hall of Famers. I mean, that's a, I mean, kind of the problem, right? I, I mean, mean but I don't think it's their age that's the issue. It just feels as if the construction of the team is such that it really only works at an optimum level if LeBron is driving it. And I don't know if that says more about the transcendent talent of LeBron James or the construction of the roster. But, like, I have no worries at all that when LeBron is back, this team's going to kick everyone's ass. It's just, why do you need LeBron James to be Oklahoma City? <laughs> yeah, that is a problem. Though, to be fair, if you have LeBron James, by definition, he's the centerpiece of everything, right? Like, it's weird to be like, well, what's wrong with the Lakers? Well, <laughs> LeBron isn't here. That's, like, a pretty big one right there. I know, but, but look, Dwight Howard, Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Carmelo Anthony. Hall of Famer, Anthony Davis, Hall of Famer, Ray John Rondo, Hall of Famer. They're all going to the Hall of Fame. Some of these are top 75 players, and they can't beat Oklahoma City Thunder unless LeBron James is suited up. 
That makes me very nervous. Uh, listen, we could not do this show if it's like, hey, listen, what? all we got to do is get LZ back. If we get LZ back, <laughs> the show's going to be fine. It's but just yes, like that, Will. But if, it's, it's but if LZ's not like here, the show doesn't work. So obviously you need LeBron and you need LZ. My sports mood, I'm a Knicks fan, remember? And uh, uh, I'm bing-bonging. I'm bi- of course, I'm bing-bonging all over the place over here. But I will say, though, I, I'm going to go closer to home. Ayo DeSumo is the second round pick of the Chicago Bulls. He's from Chicago. He's a hometown kid, played for my Illinois Fighting Illini. Wasn't even expected to start the season in the G League. Has taken off and is like leading that team. He had 22 plus minus last night. He had 15 points. He outscored James Harden. I've been watching him play basketball since he was 16. Waiting for this guy to come outplay James Harden. Was very, very exciting. I know we're going to talk about college basketball later. That... There, people have this separation between the NBA and college basketball. Well, they should. The NBA is a lot better. It's a lot less institutionally corrupt, at least a little less institutionally corrupt. But when you watch someone in college basketball for your little team, you become very emotionally attached to them. To see Ayodesumu, who was a beloved Illini and everybody actually adored him, to see him come and play in the NBA and outplay James Harden. Not that outplaying James Harden is the most difficult thing like, to you do right now. outplaying James Harden, when really James only cares about one side of the basketball. Like <laughs> he still has not still has not adjusted to the fact that he's not getting the calls. And there's something pathetic about watching someone's arms flail <laughs> the way that they use, they're so used to getting like and so th- to watch the transition of the arms flailing into the what? What? Wait, how where's my foul? There's something sad about that. Like I know James Harden's a great player and I yeah, and I get all that, but it's gotta be hard to be that player because you look like an idiot. Like you always look like an idiot when you expect that foul. It reminds me of the transition when refs stopped calling bullshit like charge calls too. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the guys would like fly all over the court and flail <laughs> around. It's like, but he charged. And it's like, or you flopped. Yeah, so I assume outplaying James Harden and also a good reminder that nothing looks sillier than a superstar pretending he was fouled, not getting the call, and then getting protesting for it. It's still gonna be Lakers versus Nets in the finals, right? It's Lakers Knicks. Bing bong, baby. Did you Bing say Knicks? Bong. Uh, I Knicks. can't tell it seemed like the signal's breaking up. Beat the 76ers, who yes, were without the three best players because of COVID, but uh, you know, that's take what you, you can play get. You, you play with the COVID you got, not with the player you COVID you don't have. You haven't won a chip since the seventies. Get what you can. <laughs> I actually am very fond of the Lakers. I actually am. I am generally a Lakers, a pro Lakers person. I'm not one of those. I'm an institutionalist in a lot of ways when it comes to sports. And I tend to like, like other than the Yankees, even the Yankees. Yeah. Other than the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys are the only sports institution I don't like. Yeah. 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 I I don't like the Cowboys because I don't actually feel like they've done anything to earn it. Like the Lakers have won a bunch of championships. The Yankees have won a bunch of championships. Dallas has anything. The Cowboys gave you the cheerleaders. Yeah. So... I was recovering the final four. That was the year that Connecticut won and Shabazz Napier won. I was, and they, they, I was at the final four uh, in Dallas. I was realizing that like, remember he was the, talking at that time about how he, did, he literally didn't have food to eat. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, they, yeah. they weren't getting paid. And it was just like, wow, I'm in like a billion dollar Jerry Jones castle with stripper poles uh, in the, in the, <laughs> you know, up in the balcony. And this guy doesn't have enough money to he eat. He doesn't even have enough for ramen noodles. All right, let's move on to our first topic. I realize I'm in the crosshairs of the woke mob right now. So before my final nail gets put in my cancel culture uh, casket, I think I'd like to set the record straight on so many of the uh, blatant lies that are out there about myself right now. You just heard Aaron Rodgers 
superstar quarterback of the NFL's Green Bay Packers, future professor at the University of Austin, apparently, on his now infamous appearance on the Pat McAfee show last week, where he tried to defend how he misled the public about his vaccination status after testing positive, after saying he was immunized. The world is different for Aaron Rodgers now than uh, it was the weekend before. What did Keanu Reeves say after he played John Wick? I, I don't know, but I, I do know that the woke mob that is Howie Long, Jimmy Johnson, and Terry Bradshaw certainly <laughs> did get after him in that regard. We've got players that pretty much think only about themselves, and I'm extremely disappointed in the actions of Aaron Rodgers. So, Elsie, I guess my first question for you on this, like, what is the price he's going to have to pay for all of this, if any? So there's two different ways of looking at that question, Will. And I'm not trying to split hairs or, or duck an answer like he did during his press conference in August <laughs> when he misled us and thinking he was vaccinated. No, I'm being truthful in this because there are two different ways of looking at this, right? There is the, the public cost, right? He has lost sponsorships. Not the big one. You know, State Farm has come out and tried to split the baby, mm -hmm. I guess. You While still not airing his ads, right? <laughs> yeah. While yeah. still not airing his ads, but being in full support. Yeah. I'm sure it worked out in the meetings that they had. That this was the best approach, whatever. He doesn't appear to have lost that, right? He still has a State Farm. He's not being suspended by the league. He may get a fine, but even that fine is minuscule compared yeah. to the amount that he makes for each game. So from a public-facing perspective... He hasn't really paid a price, but it's the interpersonal price that he's paying that I think actually is going to hurt him most. Because Aaron Rodgers is someone who believes that not only is he among the smartest in the room, if not the smartest in the room, he also embraces this notion that he's among the coolest in the room, right? There's a part of him that was so attractive because he seemed to be anything but the dumb jock that we were used to covering. And to be clear, I still don't believe he is a dumb jock, but he's an arrogant son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. And that arrogance played out in a way this past week that I think cost him interpersonally well. And he can't come to the cookout anymore. You know, that's a phrase that we like to say in the black yeah. community. Like, if a really cool person who's, you know, of a different race, typically a white person, you can come to the cookout and hang out and eat the macaroni and cheese and play spades with us. Aaron Rodgers used to be able to do that. He can't do that no more. Because now we're looking at him, we're like, oh, no, you that dog that blamed the woke mob because you didn't want to take responsibility for lying to us. Here's why I'm curious what Rodgers was thinking when he went on McAfee's show. Athletes are sometimes weird about their bodies, right? Tom Brady is, who knows, he eats little bits of chicken and goes to his quack doctor and tells him. <laughs> and he him, doesn't eat strawberries. Yeah, whatever the weird things they do. Like, even LeBron back in the beginning was taught, was wary of a vaccine during the season because yep. he didn't want to mess with his training. So athletes are kind of weird that way. So you want to be like, okay, maybe that's it. But then to have him come out full bore on the Pat McAfee show saying, not only that the woke mob's out to get me, again, the woke mob of Terry Bradshaw, Howie Long, and Jimmy Johnson. When I think woke, I think yeah. Jimmy Johnson. That's definitely, for sure. definitely. I'm, I'm, they're, they're, their obsession with critical race theory has just been overwhelming for everyone. But at a certain level, you realize that he was just lying. Like the immunization thing now, right. you watch that video and you're like, oh, you little shit. Yeah, I've been immunized. Um you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of conversation around it, around the league, and a lot of guys who have made statements and have made statements, owners who made statements. Um, you know, there's guys on the team that haven't been vaccinated. 
Then to have him go all the way into not only woke mob and all that sort of stuff, but like, oh, so I called Joe Rogan because of course you did. He called Joe Rogan and said, oh, yeah, take the horse to warmer, which even Terry Bradshaw sees through, by the way. Because he's woke, Will, because Terry Bradshaw's woke. Like if he would have gone in and said, you know what? I probably should have been more straightforward. I was wary. I have these sponsorships. I was afraid something like this would happen. And I made a mistake and I'm sorry. But for him to go out and be like, oh, no, I got it all figured out. Thanks to Dr. Rogan over here, I think was a miscalculation of a pretty dramatic proportion, even if he hangs on with State Farm. And then he did something that I didn't think that he was even capable of doing. And that is he went into a sort of MAGA conservative, Mm -hmm. ultra conservative bag of like rhetoric and misdirections to try to justify his behavior. And then, and then, Will, once he did that, then he went full on with an MLK quote. Oh, yes. The great MLK said that you have a moral obligation to object to unjust rules and rules that make no sense. In my opinion, it makes no sense for me. I test every single day. Like, I could deal with you lying. I can deal with you being a really bad John Wick. Like it wasn't a great costume. Like the the idea was great, but the execution was kind of poor. Just long hair and a beard. Just long hair and a beard. You're like, I need more from you to be John Wick. Especially since clearly you've been planning this for months, growing your hair out long and long. And then that was the end result. It was like, it's like the new Star Wars. It was like going, this is what you came up with. You had decades. It was when he went MLK that I was just like, you cannot come to the cookout. <laughs> you just can't. I'll do it. Right. Because when Dr. King wrote those words about fighting unjust laws, he was literally sitting in a prison in Birmingham, Alabama, because he was fighting unjust laws. Aaron Rodgers went there while sitting on a fucking couch trying to deflect responsibility. It was like, the epitome of white privilege that I didn't think he was capable of exercising. Not that I didn't think he was aware of white privilege was, of course he is, because he's talked about it. (laughs) But I didn't think he would go and pull it out of his wallet and use it. Like going, oh man, I tried this, I tried that. Oh yeah, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. And MLK. Hmm. Oh no, Aaron, no. Put the macaroni and cheese down. You can't get any ribs. Get out of here. You're out of the cookout. It's, it's something a dumb guy does. I mean, honestly, like that is something a dumb guy does. Like, I'm mad, like, was there any scenario in the reality where he thought that like someone would be like, oh, wow, it is like MLK. I guess I guess I understand it now. No. The thing about Rogers was Rogers represented a theoretical idea for a certain type of sports fan where he wanted to host Jeopardy. He was willing to sit out a football season to host Jeopardy. And, you know, what? I actually thought he was pretty good. I thought he was no, a pretty was good host. Good. He was a good host in the show. And it felt like, OK, that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. There was an openness to him. There was almost mm-hmm. an engagement with the world outside of sports that was interesting. And it made you feel like, OK, this there's more going on with this guy. Right. He was the superstar quarterback that you could kind of cheer for. He would make fun of his own memes. Even last week when he was tackling that Arizona game and the chin strap right. was over his face, he was having fun with that. You're like, good, like that's what you want from an athlete. And the problem is now you're like, oh, this was all bullshit. Like this was all manipulative. This was all crap. So that's my question. Was that the bullshit or was what he did on the Pat McAfee show the bullshit? You know what I'm saying? Like at which point, 
were we actually watching the real Aaron Rodgers? Was it the guy who was spitting out the Fox News talking points and trying to deflect responsibility? Or was it the guy who who checked Drew Brees when Drew Brees tried to like yeah. take a conversation about players protesting criminal injustice and pushing for reform and try to spin it into a conversation about the flag? Aaron Rodgers, unprompted by, as far as I yeah. can tell, anyone in media, mm-hmm. went to social media himself on Instagram and posted a picture and challenged Drew Brees' thinking, saying this is not about the flag and this is not about the anthem. Was he acting when he posted that? Or was he acting when he was on Pat McAfee's show talking about, I'm like MLK? You know more celebrities than I do. But like certainly there is like... Rogers, I think his fame has increased to a level in the last with the State Farm, with the dating actresses, with the Jeopardy. He is now a bigger celebrity than he really has been in any other time in kind of his life. That can be isolating. That can like send you down those rabbit holes for crying out loud. The guy texts freaking Dave Portnoy. So the idea that somehow he was like this enlightened, intelligent person beforehand, maybe now, may have been now, a little now, overrated Will, in the first place. Oh, no, they're just allegations. I, I, didn't, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just talking about <laughs> the Socratic discourse that surely results when you text Dave Portnoy. But the point you know, is... Can I, can I tell you, I hadn't been this, this disappointed in a white dude since I found out J.D. Vans was like a MAGA guy. Yeah, well, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I read Hillbilly Elegy by myself. Yeah. But I think J.D. Vance is pretending. I think I think J.D. Vance is pretending because he wants to win an election. What's, right. Aaron, Rod- what's Aaron Rodgers doing? Like, I don't what, know. Yeah, and that, that is, I think, a key question. What is this? Because you're right. The person that says that, that calls out Drew Brees, and the person who talks about the woke mob and the cancel culture and all these lies being told about me, they seem dissonant. It doesn't seem like the same person could say both of those things. And yet— yeah, there's something that registers true about both of those examples, right? We've seen tons of indications that Aaron Rodgers may not be the person that a lot of progressives, and let's face it, progressives are the one who really, you know, were hurt by mm-hmm. by what happened in the Pat McAfee show because we had held him to a different light up until then. We don't know how much of the things he was doing during the summer when he wouldn't show up for mandatory camp, when he was being silent and all the rumors about him demanding to be traded out of Green Bay because he was feeling disrespected and he didn't like the draft picks. We don't know if that was being motivated by a sudden empowerment of an athlete or just by, you know, some arrogant athlete who was just sensitive. And maybe this is a good reminder for all of us, even when we're talking about this from a fan's perspective, is we don't actually know. <laughs> like, we don't actually know. And I don't think there's any question that a lot of the things that people admired and liked about Aaron Rodgers may have been somewhat projections, may have been things that we wanted Aaron Rodgers to be or wanted to give him the benefit. Of that. And I think I'm so glad you brought up the thing with the contract. So I think it's a perfect example of it. Like, a lot of athletes do that. And you're like, get in line. Come on. You signed right. the contract. This is the way it works. But with Rodgers, it was, oh, wow, the Packers must be terrible to trade oh Aaron Rodgers yes. this way. It was totally the way we handled that situation. <laughs> it was totally the way. I mean, I went all the way back to, like, how the, the situation with Favre was handled. Yeah. And I was like, Aaron Rodgers was above reproach back then. He didn't yeah. do anything wrong. It was all management and Favre. And now I'm sitting here like going, yeah. that son of a bitch was probably talking shit behind everybody's back and of we course. didn't even know it. He's li- and I think that's what he's lost. Like, again, he's not going to get suspended. Right. I have to say, I watched Jordan Love play quarterback. I would rather watch Aaron Rodgers play quarterback. I'd rather watch Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers. As will the Packers, as will the Packers fan base who would cheer him when he gets back onto the field. And as well they should. Like, 
they, they should not be begrudged for doing so. They're there to root for their team and I like, get all that. But I think that's what he's lost. He's lost any benefit of the doubt ever moving forward on anything. And uh, I'm sure in the short term, that probably doesn't seem like very much to him. Right. But I think in the long term, I think that actually may make some sort of difference. But we'll see if he wins the Super Bowl and holds up the Lombardi trophy and says, take this woke mob of Terry Bradshaw, Howie Long and Jimmy Johnson. You will not cancel me. And uh, you know and then we all move on. I've attended a couple of woke mob meetings, Will. I've never seen those three guys there. I, I don't know if they're just getting the notes or what. I feel like Howie Long like would maybe run security for one if we hired him. But I feel like otherwise it doesn't feel like a place Howie Long would just hang out in his free time. No. I'm just saying. You can't blame black people for everything, man. Okay, let's turn to another topic entirely. Maybe we continue to follow a developing story in the NBA where more than 70 former and current Phoenix Suns employees describe a toxic and sometimes hostile workplace during owner Robert Sarver's 17-year tenure, according to ESPN reporter Baxter Holmes. You just heard a snippet from an ESPN report on the investigation into the Phoenix Suns owner, Robert Sarver, which is one of the biggest stories in the NBA right now. Now, last Thursday, November 4th, ESPN.com published a story written by senior NBA writer Baxter Holmes that documents many instances of racist and sexist remarks, as well as bullying behavior by Sarver. I ask you, Will, does this story, though, lose any credibility in your eyes because of who reported it? ESPN paid about $24 billion to broadcast their games. Do you think they have a conflict of interest there? Well, first off, just to be clear, Baxter Holmes is a really good reporter. I know I've read Baxter Holmes' work. His work is really good. I don't think there's any idea that Baxter Holmes' work is not particularly impeccable or there's any reason to like necessarily doubt the details of the story itself. But I think there's two things to be, I think, a little questioning about this, at least the fact that it's an ESPN story. One, as you talk about the idea that ESPN has this huge contract with the NBA and therefore you, you start to wonder like, wow, what kind of meetings had to go on within ESPN? This is something I actually would love to ask you about with a long history uh, at ESPN. <laughs> but like someone uh, at the NBA got some alert that this was happening. Remember when Sarver, the Suns put out that weird Twitter yep. press release? Obviously, there were some negotiations going on that predated this story. I heard Baxter on Zach Lowe's podcast, and it was funny to hear Baxter be very, very cautious with his words when he was discussing the piece that seemed to go beyond just – I'm covering all my journalistic bases. It was clear that there was a crossover between these massive organizations that are, have a huge partnership together. To me, the interesting thing is kind of what's happened with ESPN journalistically at all the last few years. The number of people that have left, half of the staff of The Athletic is filled with former ESPN people. You were a great person at ESPN for a long time. You're not there anymore. It feels like a lot of like the people who I looked at ESPN thought, wow, that is such a good journalist. There's still people there, to be very clear. Seth Bickerson was really good. Right, Thompson. There's tons of people that are really, really good there. But certainly it feels like the guts of a, them as a journalistic organization, they've been hurt a lot. It's weird to think think that like what stories are they focusing on what stories are they promoting and how much of a journalistic organization are they anymore and i actually have a lot of questions for you about that because you spent <laughs> a lot of time there it's interesting though because i don't want to come across as like a bitter former espner because i'm not right you know the company helped me in a lot of ways both in terms of my career as well as access to to power and powerful people and there were a lot of fantastic people that I got to work with and got to become friends with and I'm still friends with today. With all that being said, though, you damn skippy I was cognizant of the way that journalism was being eroded. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, I saw it firsthand. I first got to ESPN with the magazine. 
And I was really shocked. I had left newspapers to go into the magazine world, Will, and I was really shocked at the different journalism practices between what I was you know, taught to do in college, in my internships, and as a newspaper reporter to the approach to journalism once I got to the magazine in particular and then ESPN like as a whole. There would be nothing for editors to be fast and loose with quotes. Right. I'm just being real with wow. you. I was encouraged to massage quotes. Interesting. And that's that's quite a, that, 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 that's and, it. That's even more than just magazine stuff I would even kind of expect. That's that's unusual. It, it, I, I thought it was unusual. And I remember being told repeatedly, well, that's the way magazines work. That's the way the magazine <laughs> business works. New York Magazine and, does not do that, to be as clear as possible. <laughs> New York I'm Magazine just, does not do I'm that. I'm just telling you, dog, coming from newspapers, my first couple of years were rough at the magazine because I was having a hard time processing their approach to journalism, particularly when it came to massaging the quotes. Interesting. And then what really sort of blew up, not just in me personally in my little sphere, but like on the magazine as a whole, was the criticism we faced when we did our investigative reporting on the steroid allegations. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people in journalism and I'm happy to be one of them, felt as if significant parts of that reporting was simply plagiarized from what the San Francisco Chronicle had done earlier. And that was sort of disarming for me because, again, I came from newspapers, which at that particular time was really adamant to keep sales and editorial apart. They didn't want anything to appear as if there was some sort of conflict of interest there. And then I get to the magazines and sales and editorial are meeting regularly. Yeah. So there was a, a piece that I needed to catch up on in terms of the different business approaches between newspapers or traditional journalism, as I knew it, and magazines anyway. And that's the heyday. That's the heyday and, of it, though. Like, it got worse. I was going to say. <laughs> and since then, what have we seen happen? Yeah. You pointed it out. An erosion of reporters, but then also... I would say like this really weird, you know, clearly conflicting relationship with the businesses that it covers, right? And that is the problem for them, right? Is that they are broadcasting games by leagues while also assuming the mantle of being the watchdog of those leagues. And you just can't do that without confusing the viewers or the readers. You just can't. And that's the reason why I question how this particular piece about Robert Sarver is being received, because when Adam Schefter is busted for literally handing over copy of a story to a source and then calling that source Mr. Editor, and then ESPN sort of shrugs its shoulder at this whole development. Schefter got a Schefter. <laughs> I was like... Dog, you got you just don't give a fuck about journalism if you're just shrugging your shoulders at that because that is the antithesis. That is journalism one on one. You don't give unpublished stories to the source, then have them edited. Like you and then you present it as if it's objective reporting. And what made it even worse, Will, is that the story in question was about a labor issue. Yes, that's the worst part. Like it wasn't like it was like you know, all the names spelled correctly in this. Like it was right. literally like we're getting you, we're getting everything what you guys want, right? Like it was clearly that. It was clearly that, right? And that, right. that was always hard. And but it's weird though because like. You know, that that thing that you talk about, the idea of a network that pays all this money with these leagues, have these partnerships with the leagues, also covering them, that's always been an issue with ESPN. It's always something they've struggled with. 
I think what's gotten a little bit more distressing in recent years is it feels like the part of ESPN, again, you would know this better than me, but from an, as an outsider perspective, as someone that, you know, has somewhat been known to write about ESPN from time to time in his career, it looks like the people that were fighting the fight on that, on the journalistic side, are gone. Bob Lee is not there anymore. There is no outside the lines anymore. The idea of like, even with this story, there was a time where like SportsCenter was on all the time and then we'd go to Bob Lee and we'd talk about it there. They'd yep. all discuss it there. And now, listen, I do not mean this to an insult to Stephen A. Smith, who has clearly become the face of that network in a lot of ways. But like, I feel like this is a story that Bob Lee is supposed to be pushing and yes. not and not Stephen A. Smith. Right. And I think that speaks right. to the general issue over there. And I, I agree with you, Will. And it's not because Stephen A. is the face of ESPN or anything like that. It's because... I was taught that objective journalism was different than commentary. And if you were on the lines of being a political or, or a sports commentator, then one of the things you don't do is break news. Why? Because you've already revealed a certain bias in expressing your opinions regularly on the medium, on the network, in newspapers, what have you. As, as someone who's written about progressive issues for a number of years for you know a variety of, of, of outlets, I can't all of a sudden now turn around and pretend as if I'm going to be this objective reporter breaking news about the White House. Even if I went through every single check and balance, it's perceived as a conflict of interest because of how the audience or how the readers have been conditioned to receive my content. And so... Part of the issue with the Sarver report, in my opinion, is that once you've established that you're kind of fast and loose with objective reporting and, and commentary, and we saw what happened with Adam Schefter literally handing over unpublished content to be edited by a source, when you do reporting like this with Sarver, I do wonder about the process in which it became posted. I do wonder, were there any quotes massaged? Not that, you know, Baxter Holmes no. is a you know, nefarious Baxter's journalist who doesn't great. care. Right. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that they've established a process now in the public sphere. This isn't something that's hidden by people who only work there now. We've all bear witness. Right. We saw it play out with, with Adam Schefter. They don't care so, about some of the institutes of journalism that we've been taught and that students continue to learn of. And so because they don't care, when it comes to issues or stories of this kind of layer of importance, and here we are talking about possibly an owner being forced out of the ownership of his team, you have to consider the process of the source. And the process of the source, I, I, I would argue, has lost a little bit of credibility in being able to objectively say this is what happened because we saw what you did, what was supposed to be an objective piece of reporting, and you gave it to the source to edit. So this begs the question, uh, do fans care <laughs> at a certain level? And, and I, like, I well, care. I'm a fan. I know. I care. I, I'm a fan and I care. But, All right, then. But certainly ESPN, I'll put it this way. I don't get a sense from uh, my time hanging out with other sports fans that uh, every time someone tells me, man, I really wish outside the lines, that place did some really great journalism. <laughs> it's always a journalist telling me that. <laughs> it's always a journalist. I never. Hey, wait, 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 wait. God, I miss outside the lines. Oh, I love it. I miss Bob Lee. Bob Lee was the best, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, I've never been to sports ball being like, wow, I really miss the the vital context and perspective <laughs> around this game and the history. Like people like at a certain level, ESPN's bet, I think in the last few years has been 
that fans don't really care that much. There is a level of credibility that they can't fall below. They can't get to the point where they feel like a house organ where it actually, but like for crying out loud, I mean, the NFL network is literally a house organ and that place is doing great. You know, I remember when ESPN made all of those layoffs, the worry was not, oh no, are some of these great reporters ever going to find jobs? The answer was usually yes. They were really good. They were really talented. Mm-hmm. They would find someone what they wanted. But what was worrisome was what it signified to the sports community at large, which is the biggest, most powerful sports organization is pivoting away from this stuff and they don't think it's going to hurt them. And it kind of hasn't. (laughs) And I I think, yeah, I think that's the worry. And and you know why? Because it hasn't hurt media in general. I mean, think about the way that news is covered today versus when we were coming up in this business, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, what have you. 20. Like the idea that you would have a table with like, anywhere between five and maybe nine different commentators being anchored by one little host on election night. (laughs) And you're supposed to be talking about a hard news subject, but every word that's being uttered is coming out of an opinionated mouth, right? That's the current business model. It's give a little bit of story, give a whole lot of commentary. Because media, news media in general, has gravitated in that direction, Will, ESPN is just simply doing what everyone else is doing, which is giving the people what they want and not necessarily what they could use or what they need. You know, we have seen the the studies now, Will, that have been done that said people tend to watch news sources that confirms what they already know as opposed to challenge or introduce something that they don't know. And that is also true apparently in sports where sports fans, they don't really want to know about some of this underbelly stuff in sports. They just want to feel like Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback. (laughs) And that's all they care about. I mean, at a certain point, Will, you know, those of us inside this journalism bubble have to ask ourselves, you know, how much longer do we try and keep up the fight and stay true to like journalism integrity that we learned in college Or do we just give in and throw out hot takes and try to go viral? All I can say is the only opinionated mouths that you can trust are the ones here on the long game. Here, here. LZ and Leech, the opinionated mouths that you can trust. Ding. (laughs) All right, let's take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to talk about the start of the college basketball season. I know it's not March yet, but college basketball is still happening. Does anyone else give a shit? besides Will. (laughs) And it's a sport better off with less NCAA authority than ever. All right, we're back. There's the pass to Leitner. Puts it up. You just heard one of the greatest calls in instability college basketball history when Duke's Christian Leitner hit a miraculous buzzer beater in 1992 to sink Kentucky in the quarterfinals of the NCAA tournament. Everyone remembers that moment because at the time, college basketball was at the center of the sports universe. Now, not so much. We are recording this on Tuesday morning, hours before the start of the college basketball season. I 
love college basketball. You should know that about me. I grew up watching Illinois men's college basketball in Mattoon, Illinois, an hour south of Champaign. I have all my Illini gear on. I cannot wait to start a college basketball season. And I am the only person I know that knows or cares that college basketball is starting at all. College basketball has gone through a lot in the last couple of decades. And I think clearly, while I think college basketball starts in November Everyone else thinks college basketball starts in March. And I'm curious, LZ, do you think that I'm the only person that gives a shit about this? <laughs> the only person <laughs> that gives a cares about college basketball? And do you think that this sport, particularly with everything going on with NCAA, is this sport in any sort of peril? Well, you know, it's a fascinating discussion because in a lot of ways, the legend of college basketball has always been supported by casual fans. Like you mentioned it earlier, March, March Madness. The most significant juice that's infused into the sport is being infused by people who didn't watch the sport for months yeah. and then tune in for these couple of weeks. And that was in the heyday. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> right? right. That's a, Every that's now a, and then, like a big rivalry game, like North Carolina versus Duke would pop up that would get like some sort of national buzz. But that all went away when you no longer had juniors and seniors fighting for the third and fourth times in their careers, but as opposed to like a couple of high school kids who are only going to show up once and they don't really care about anything, yeah. but getting out and going to the league, right? So the passion kind of went that direction for those rivalries until the tournament time. So does anyone give a shit? Yes. Apparel companies give a shit. High schools, coaches <laughs> give a shit. Players give a shit. College students give a shit. But the casual fan does not. And I don't really think they're going to get the casual fan back because of the dynamics of the way we consume media in general and what's happened to the NCAA's positioning specifically. I actually kind of don't care what the rest of you think about college basketball because I love it and we'll be watching it till March. But I do think there are reasons that the game has lost a lot of cultural currency and influence. And I do think one and done was obviously one of the biggest things that happened with this. Not so much that it happened, because it's clearly good that it happened. Like, I think it's kind of absurd that college football players can't go get in the draft after one year of college football. But really, it's been Zion has been like the only thing that's really moved the needle the last few years. And that was, again, it was all, oh, let's watch this guy who's obviously going to be running the league next year. And, it was a C. Right. and he was just an interesting kind of player. He's still an interesting kind of player if he ever gets on the court. That was able to kind of like drive college basketball. And it's funny. I rem remember the game where he played Obama was there and his shoe exploded yep. and like the game was on everywhere and it feels like that was it's college basketball's big moment where everyone's paying attention and then it was like oh no actually here's all the horrible things about college basketball actually being exactly. shown In to you right now <laughs> if you remember like his shoe exploded because they had to make a special shoe just for him because his body was so weird and it was just another example that like oh right he actually can't get paid for that advertisement for that shoe that just exploded all that money is going to his coach and it just reminded you that this is a really, really corrupt sport. And the NCAA now actually has less influence than ever to where the sport is a little bit more of a Wild West free-for-all, which in some cases I think is good. I think it's probably more fair that some of this money go to the athletes. But I also, th I think, further disconnects the game from what people have always traditionally liked about college basketball. It, it makes them feel more and more like, oh, no, this is not the game. This is not the time of Christian Leitner. This is not the time of Fislam Ajama. This is not the time of all that great right. stuff in the past. The sport lost its ability to tell a story. And the reason why it lost its ability to tell a story is because it lost characters that people would care about. Yeah. 
college basketball and to a certain degree college football, but certainly college basketball was, yeah, it was about the sport and yeah, it was about the schools, but it was mostly about the people. It was about the journey. It's about seeing these fresh-faced 17, 18-year-old young men develop, grow, get better at their skill, get better at their sport, get better at talking to the media, and then graduating from college and then going on and being professionals in the NBA. (laughs) And everyone had a chance to like latch on to their favorite character in this story and root for this person to finally get the princess or become king or, or, or however the hell you want to like characterize it or phrase it, right? To team with Wario to save the princess. Yeah. It's like, you know, I know a lot of people don't like Christian Leitner, but I'm just going to stick with this character because I think in the end he's going to get the prize. It was right. really kind of like that. Right, right. And now it's like, oh, all of that was bullshit. All of that was just sanctimonious, manipulated narrative bullshit about what this really is. This isn't a sweet story about young, sweet-faced 17-year-old Tommy growing up to be a good NBA player one day. No, this is about squeezing as much as you possibly fucking can out of the talents from these young kids before they get smart enough to get the fuck out of here and take their talent somewhere where they'll get paid. That's what it really was about. And you are right. What happened to Zion that night with President Obama in the audience was everything the NCAA didn't need to have happen, starting with the fact that a former president came to the game. (laughs) It starts there, Will. Why the hell is the former president making time to come to the game to see a college freshman play basketball? That never used to happen. Maybe the superstar superstars, right? right? The guys that have been there for a while, maybe... But you got Secret Service out so you can watch an 18-year-old play basketball? (laughs) In shoes that apparently don't fit him. (laughs) In shoes that didn't even fit. And then you talk about the shoes. It exploded. And my first thought was, well, that's the last college basketball game he's going to play. Because I would not risk my life, my health, my ability to generate generational wealth playing free basketball for Coach K. So the big change that's really happened in college basketball in the last year was the Supreme Court ruling led by liberal bastion Brett Kavanaugh, who basically (laughs) kind of potentially put the death knell to not so much college basketball, college sports, but the NCAA. And clearly what we've seen the NCAA happen since then is they basically abdicated being in charge. They're basically like, okay, you figure it out. We have seen in college football what that means. It just means the SEC taking a bunch of power and all the conferences fighting with each other about it. In college basketball, it's a little different because there's still the tournament at the end of the year where the NCAA has some sort of say in it. But on the whole, no one's really running college basketball right now. Could that help? Could that be something that would help the system or not? Well, I mean, what's better, having centralized corrupt power or like decentralized corrupt power? <laughs> I don't think in any scenario the yeah. idea that somehow we're avoiding corruption yeah. is really a legitimate concern or thought to have, right? We know that even if it's decentralized, that there's still going to be shenanigans happening. So the question is, do you want to do a whack-a-mole sort of thing and go, this conference has been bad, now this conference has been bad. Or, Will, do you prefer having one boogeyman that everyone can point to and go, boo? I wonder if it's better to have smaller corruptions. I'll put it this way. I would rather see the corruption be an athlete and his family or her family getting money where they would not have otherwise than having this NCAA have this institutionalized control over all of this and batting all that down. 
I feel like the Wild West that's happening right now kind of feels a little bit more just than having all of these rules going down. Remember when the big shoe, the big shoe scandal happened a couple years ago? There were all these like very self-righteous coaches that were being like, at last, we're getting this corruption out of the sport. If you remember what it was, it was shoe companies giving money essentially to players' families to try to get them to go to their school, whether it was an Adidas school or a Nike school or whatever it was. And there were some very self-righteous coaches being like, yes, this is corruption in our sport. We must get rid of this. And it's like, well, yeah, that'd be one way to put it. The way I'd put it would be you who gets money as the coach, who gets money from Nike and money from the shoe companies. You're saying, no, I don't want it to go to those people. I want it to go to me. <laughs> and, right. so I, and so I think that like getting rid of a lot of these draconian, I would argue quite outdated NCAA rules, even if it means blowing up the NCAA entirely, still feels like a larger justice for these players and their families to get some money. Like now that we're being more honest about it, we're no longer pretending there's no gambling in this establishment. That seems maybe a move in the right direction. Mm -hmm. This is a sport that obviously in context makes no sense. It would not be any sort of revenue producer at all, except for March, except for March. Right. Look at this deal. CBS and Turner Sports paid the NCAA $19.6 billion to billion broadcast. A billion. That's a B. That's a B. That's $19.6 billion. They don't stop. To broadcast the tournament <laughs> for over a 20-year span, up to 2032. And... I have to say, I think it's worth it. That's like as much as the infrastructure bill Joe Biden just got through. And I feel like it's worth it, right? Like, I feel like it's worth it. I mean, one of my favorite things- The infrastructure bill or the NCAA thing? Listen, you have to take bridges to get to the arena. So I understand that these are things are all kind of connected together. But certainly the way that, that, that college basketball is structured now, none of it makes any economic sense at all until you get to the tournament. Because the tournament is the ultimate casuals event. It is in every possible way. It's always so funny to me because A- I've been watching college basketball the entire season when the tournament comes, but I still do terrible in the bracket. <laughs> I don't do any better than anybody <laughs> else does. Uh, but more to the point, everyone suddenly has this huge interest in this thing. They haven't watched any of these things. All they know is Duke, they're usually good and I hate them. Kentucky, right. they're usually good and I don't really like them. And I think that's interesting too because I always find it interesting to see how the NBA markets its games and the college basketball markets its games. NBA is always like, oh, look, Damian Lillard's playing tonight against LeBron James. In college basketball, it's Coach K against John Calipari. It's always the coaches. It's always the coaches. And that is a bad sign. That was something that Zion broke through a little bit. But it's funny because like with the NIL laws, I think there was a sense like, okay, well, this is a little bit more fair now, right? This is a little bit more fair. Some of these guys can get a little money now. And maybe we're worried about whether one school tries to get away with more or whatever. But like, maybe it's a little bit more fair. Kofi Coburn, the preseason All-American on Maya Illini, explicitly came back because he said, I'd be able to make more money from NIL than I will be traveling around Spain or trying to catch on with the G League yeah. team or something. So on a certain level, that's good. That doesn't change the fact, you know how much more of that $19.6 billion is going to players? Zero more. <laughs> Zero right. more is going to players. So I don't think the sport itself has gotten any less corrupt. I think college basketball might have been a sport that relied on the illusion that you talked about, that storytelling illusion, the idea that this was all for some sort of greater cause. College football, I think they did away with this illusion a while ago, right. but college basketball, I think, still kind of believes it. And every, you can see their faces. Yeah, yeah. And you can theoretically get into the personalities. You should be able to get into the personalities more. But because there's so much transience, because everything's changed, imagine if college basketball had the playoff format of college football, or if it was just like, yo, best four teams at the end of the year, I think the sport would die. <laughs> I think the sport exists. I, I, I would agree yeah. with you. Yeah, the sport exists because of the tournament. 
I think it would die in large part because the young people, rightly so, have other options that they can consider. And this is where the hypocrisy of conservatives in particular really shines to me. And I don't want to make this, you know, Republican versus Democrat, blah, 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 because I just think that's just a bunch of boring bullshit. But this aspect is true. Conservatives, Republicans, Libertarians, they're always also pro-free market society. Don't pick winners and losers. Just go out there and work really hard and blah, 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 blah. And America is the land of the opportunity. But for some reason, when it comes to college sports, particularly college basketball, they don't want free market. They don't want young people to go out and take their own image and maximize their own talents and make as much money in America as they can. No, they want to restrain them from being able to do that. And if they dare to leave school early, still, (laughs) if they dare to leave school early, somehow they're eroding the sanctity of college basketball and not the NCAA, which created these arbitrary rules so that they can funnel all the cash back to their coffers to begin with. If there's a reason to root for the death of college basketball, it's to root for that system to finally go away, where you're literally are telling 17, 18-year-old men who are old enough to go overseas and kill people that you can't pick up that basketball and teach a five-year-old how to dribble for money because if you do, that's a violation and you won't be able to play for this school anymore. That is so fucking nonsensical, Will. It blows my mind that it's still in existence. So if there's any reason to root for the end of college basketball, taking that raggedy-ass system out to to the woodshed (laughs) would be that reason. Well, if college basketball is going to die, I can only request that my beloved Illinois Fighting Illini get that national championship that has eluded them for so many years before that happens. Hey man, you better stick with the Knicks. That has a better shot. Oh, come on. We're a top 10 team this year. They don't want to last year if it wasn't for Sister Jean. You know what you did, Sister Jean. You she are not forgiven. Jesus on her side. You are not forgiven, Sister Jean. You will live with the monstrosity of the actions for the rest of your life, Sister Jean. You can't dunk on Jesus. I'm sorry I yelled at a nun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, time to move to this week in sports history. When I would get introduced to come to play uh, a match, everybody was clapping for my opponent. Certainly when I played Chris, yeah, Chris, Chris America, a wonderful person, great friend. Everybody claps for Chris Everett, and I come out and, you know, not everybody clapped. Some even whistled and booed and, you know, jeered. Um, I know I had some really bad haircuts, but I don't even know that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that mullet really has to go. Uh, That's perhaps the worst thing about being well-known. Those bad haircuts oh, never yeah. go away. Um, but it was tough, you know? You look so good I, right wanted, now. I wanted to be loved so much. And, uh, and I think, I don't know how much the sexuality had to do with it, being a strong woman, playing a very aggressive game, um, being outspoken. Um, winning a lot. I, don't, it, I think it's a combination of all, but I know that uh, being gay didn't help. You just heard an interview with tennis great Martina Navratilova talking about her incredible rivalry with Chrissy Everett, another one of the greatest tennis players of all time. Now, 30 years ago this week, on November 10th, 1991, Martina won her 157th professional singles title, tying Chrissy Everett, her fiercest rival for the most in history. Martina went on to break the record with another 10 more tournament wins. Now, Will, I ask you, when you think back on that epic rivalry, how do you think it would play out today? And specifically, 
after hearing what Martina had to say, in today's environment, would she still be the villain? Or would it be Chrissy? Yeah, I think it would be Chris Everett. And that through no fault of her own, right? Like, I think that Chris Everett would be seen almost as the thing that we're used to, the tennis player that we've seen all the time. And now I feel like we reject that more. I think the culture is clearly would be more supportive of Martina Everett to love as a lesbian. But I think more to the point, we we are more suspicious of institutions and we like to like kind of blow up what we've seen before now. I think that now Chris Everett would be seen almost as like a Karen even <laughs> at times, whereas Deborah Tolova would be seen like we, she would be the, the, the perky white girl that we've seen all, uh, white girl we've seen a million times. And I think never Tolova would almost be seen as an insurgent and maybe embraced a little bit more. Yeah. I don't know. You know? I don't know if I, I agree. I don't know if there are any villains in this and this, this is why social media is the biggest difference in my opinion from when they were on the courts facing each other to where they are now. And in the world of social media, there is plenty of space for both of them. I think part of the reason why there were lines drawn in the sand is because there was only space for one. (laughs) And so they were both great players, so you still have to look for other reasons why you chose one versus the other. And I do believe Martina being outed impacted the decision people made about who to cheer for. You know, you got to remember, this wasn't 2021 where Little Nas X is half naked on a BET stage. Or was he fully naked? I can't remember. That kid can't keep any clothes on. (laughs) Literally, he's always naked. It's it's a lot, man. (laughs) It's a a lot. I'm openly gay, but who? He's just naked a lot. I'm not saying there's anything good or bad. (laughs) I'm just noting that he is often naked. He is often naked. But I will say this, though, as an aside. He ain't never ashy. <laughs> Shout out to you, little Nas X. You might be naked all the time, but you're keeping the cocoa and shape of the industry alive and kicking. Because he is never ashy, Will. Never, 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 I never. I could not agree more. Anyway, I think that there's space now for an openly lesbian superstar to be able to be cheered and loved by all without taking away any of the fandom that the cisgender heterosexual blonde beauty would have had. I think they would have resembled more of what we see today with Rafa and Roger Federer. Nadal has his fans who cheer for him and love him no matter what. And Federer has his fans. And sometimes the fans are rivals. But I think at this point, everyone just hates Djokovic. Yeah, which is fair. (laughs) Which is fair. But it's true. (laughs) You know, I'm actually thinking about this now. How many great individual rivalries do we even have right now? I actually kind of love your point about the idea that there are multiple stories being told. What was the biggest rivalry thing that happened this year? Brady Belichick, maybe? Like those two going up against each other, maybe? And even then they they were hugging each other they were talking how much they respected each other and right. and you know that famous social media fiend that is bill belichick clearly was able to tell his story in that regard but it's hard to think of a lot of individual rivalries like if you're team lebron you're the opposition to team lebron is not team someone else that's playing it's team right. jordan <laughs> it's someone that can't right. go against them right like no one right. thinks and someone who never has yeah, exactly actually like 30 years ago would Steph and LeBron be seen as rivals now I do not think they're, they're seen as competitive they, they play right. against each other but I don't think like they clearly respect each other they clearly like each other they're, and ev- we can all see that now in a way that like at the time they were friendly they did not get along they got along fine right. but you couldn't see that back then you can see that now you know the thing I think that's also really incredible about the way that rivalries have played out today versus yesteryear. And you're right. Um, I certainly can't think of a lot of individual rivalries where back in the day, 
like this time period we're talking about 30 years ago, 1991, there were tons of rivalries across different sports. There were gymnastic rivalries. <laughs> there were obviously tennis rivalries. We were talking about them now, but there were boxing rivalries that we really treasured, and there were boxing rivalries within different divisions. So it wasn't just simply about the heavyweights, but other divisions had their rivalries that people cared about, and a lot of those things have kind of you know fallen by the wayside. And I think that has to do with the fact that the mystique of the behind the scenes is gone, right? Like a lot of people didn't know that Martina and Chrissy didn't hate each other when they were on the court. Today, we do. And so that energy that may have been evident in 1991 just isn't there anymore because we know they actually don't hate each other. You know, we might be looking at Michael Jordan's relationship with the other superstars in the NBA differently had we known at that particular time that they really didn't hate each other back then either. We found out later that Michael Jordan is out golfing with Danny Ainge but had we known that when they were facing each other in the playoffs, I think we would have looked at that that relationship differently. Yeah, the only rivalry I can think of now um, think about, it actually requires people actively hating each other, which is that golf rivalry, right? That Brooks, Kopka, and Bryson deep something. But yeah, and that has no sexiness yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly. It's just like a, it's just a couple of spoiled white kids hating each other, which is fine. <laughs> I got no problem with that. I grew up with a lot of that. Like, I get it. It feels like golf spice, which you know, it's an oxymoron. Yeah, it man. doesn't really, it doesn't spice. really count. I, I've never heard either one of them say to the other, "You don't want this smoke." I just haven't, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I have not seen it uh, at all in golf, uh, in any way, shape, or form. And maybe that's hurting. How do you talk shit in golf anyway? <laughs> yeah. Like you're walking around in plaid pants. Yeah. Like, like whatever thug life mentality you think you are embodying. As soon as you put on those plaid pants, shit's over. It's like, it's a wrap. The thing about golf is everyone's generally pretty comfortable and generally always has been. So, like, they could never really get that upset. <laughs> right. Even when people hate each other in golf, they don't really hate each other. Not really. And you know why? Because they actually don't play against each other. Yeah, right, They're right. really just playing against right. themselves. It's not, yeah, exactly. They're, play, they're playing against the board. All right, before we get out of here, let's move on to our games of the week. LZ, what do you have for me for your game of the week? Well, my friend, I'm looking at two limping teams facing off in a limp off. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds uh, depressing. And uh, maybe is, is Roman a sponsor of the show? I do. <laughs> <laughs> the Kansas City Chiefs, which looks nothing like the team under Patrick Mahomes that we've come to know and love facing the Las Vegas Raiders, hmm. who are hemorrhaging players and credibility by the second. It is a limp-off of global proportion, my friend. And I don't think there are winners or losers at the conclusion of this game. I just think it's a fantastic sort of display of how quickly things can change in the NFL, thus earning its name not for long. I like the idea of a limp-off. It sums up so many things in so many ways. (laughs) My game of the week is Friday night. It is USA-Mexico in World Cup qualifying. I've written a piece about for the Atlantic this week. I hope everyone uh, checks it out. Basically about not only the history of USA-Mexico games, because it's famously the Dos Acero. I was at the game in 2013 when they clinched a spot to the World Cup that year in Columbus. It was very exciting. But the USA did not qualify for the World Cup in the last run. And a lot's happened since then. It was very bad. But I always remember (laughs) when that qualifying happened, the last time that USA and Mexico played in the World Cup qualifying in the United States was literally two days after the election. 
in 2016, where I have to tell you, I wasn't really in the mood for international soccer involving the United States. (laughs) And so I've always, I coined a term a few years ago that like U.S. soccer had the sort of hipster patriotism where like you get a bunch of people who dress up in powdered wigs and and have eagles on their chests and be like ironic patriotism. But I feel like that's changed a lot in the last few years. So I'm very curious to see in this current climate, how a USA-Mexico game plays. Christian Pulisic is awesome. The USA is almost certainly going to qualify this year, but uh, I'm excited to go out there and and I was there in Columbus in 2013. Some guy dressed up as George Washington ran up to me and said, America, fuck yeah, America. And I feel like <laughs> if that were have happened to me at any other time since then, it's a very different context. So Friday night in Cincinnati, USA, Mexico, USA, USA, but only in that particular context. I just remember that great quote from Bruce Arena, who was the U.S. Mm-hmm. men's national team head coach, saying something along the lines of, in 30 years, the U.S. is going to win the World Cup or something. Yeah, yeah right before they bounce out. Oh, man. <laughs> and I was just like going, dog, talk about hedging your bets. <laughs> Who's going to remember that bold prediction You'll be dead. in 30 years? Like, yeah, old takes exposed. It's not going to, like, come after you uh, in 30 <laughs> years. I will say, just last thing on this, I love this men's national team. The women's team is likable and fun and so much better. But this men's team, I find particularly likable. There's a lot of young, solid international players. Weston McKinney is exciting. Christian Pulisic. And Tim Weah, who I love the fact that the U.S. team has a guy who is literally the son of the president of Liberia. One of my absolute favorite (laughs) trivia questions about this U.S. team. There's a player on the team who is the son of the president of Liberia. I have to say, if I'm Liberia's coach... I'm a little pissed. I feel like if I can't get the son of the president on my team, what kind of American imperialism is happening? And that's our show for the week, Will. Good show. Great show. Great show. The best show. Thanks, everyone, to listening to The Long Game with LZ and Leach. Make sure you subscribe to us on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next Wednesday for a breakdown of the biggest sports stories of the week. And who knows? Maybe Aaron Rodgers will have a different excuse why he's not vaccinated. This time, it's definitely Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. Somehow, Joe Rogan's involved. There's no way he's not. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.